You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Last couple of weeks, uh, we looked at John chapter 14, and we specifically saw um, cures for a troubled and a fearful heart. Um, I guess it was three weeks ago we talked about that that aspect of our maturing faith in Jesus being the the basis for preventing our hearts from being troubled, um, that our anxieties and uh, troubles start to dissipate as we recognize more clearly how secure our future is, and just the the daily purpose that we have as, as part of His kingdom. Um, we saw two weeks ago cures for a fearful heart that. While maturing faith kind of gets us out of that troubled state, it's maturing love for Jesus um, that helps us grow in our obedience to him, that allows our fears to be turned into a mindset of peace as we deepen our intimacy with him. And we, we, we experience that through the help of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus talks about giving us the Holy Spirit to help aid us in, in growing and, and learning to love him and submit to him. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9. Uh, and we saw that the Christmas season reminds us that the gloom of this life can be vanquished if we are willing to connect that our gloom and darkness is the byproduct of sin and judgment, and that belief in Jesus as the light is our only source of salvation. So we kind of tied that passage into what we've been learning uh, in John and how we can be set free from that state of gloom by Jesus Christ, that he's our wonderful counselor, meaning that he provides wisdom and tells us the best things to do with our life. He's a mighty God. He's strong in that he provides the energy for us to do those best things. So not only does he call us to work out our salvation, he energizes us so that we can. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He demonstrates great care for us, better protection than Assyria could. Remember we said that Ahaz reached out to Assyria and, and basically referenced them like, like he was, the, like he, you're, our, you're my dad, right? Like, hey, I'm calling upon you to act like a dad for me. I'm your son. Come help me. And this is a hostile nation towards Judah. God's a much better father. He's an everlasting father who shows much better care for us. He's the prince of peace. Uh, he provides a calming presence, a victory that has no end uh, for us. And we said that There's assurance in Isaiah chapter 9 that all this will happen, and we're told that it's the zeal of the Lord that is the motivator. And we saw at the end of John chapter 14, what's what's the Lord motivated about? Well, he wants to show the world that he loves his Father, and he's going to go and meet the enemy in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to go to Calvary to pay for our sins. And so uh, we see what it looks like to move from gloom to glory. Today we're talking about uh, joy and what it looks like to have that to the fullest extent. In a season where we talk about and sing about the joy that has come to the world, uh, we see specifically Jesus talking about joy that he wants to give to us as well. In John chapter 15, um, he says that in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that we may experience that joy to the full, right? And so everything that we're going to see today really needs to be understood through that lens, that everything that's being communicated, all the commands that we see, the admonitions to abide with him, um, to obey him, to love others, it's all under the understanding that what he is desiring to do is to give us joy, joy that we can experience to the fullest. All right? Um, So let's jump right into John chapter 15, uh, verse 1, saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." All right, so we're going we're gonna to see what Jesus means with this analogy of the vine, the branches, referencing his father as this vine dresser. All right, let's look specifically at our summary sentence first. True Christians abide in Christ by knowing and responding to his word, which allows them to produce increasing fruit and experience lasting joy. True Christians abide in Christ by knowing and responding to his word, which allows them to produce increasing fruit and experience 
lasting joy. Remember, we said uh, a couple weeks ago that Jesus is starting now to transition his disciples into understanding what life's going to look like post-cross, that he's about, to, he's about to leave them temporarily to go to the cross. They're not going to be able to go with him. They're not going to be able to interact with him for several days. He's going to resurrect and have periods of time with him, right? And then he's going to be gone physically and no longer with them, something they've been used to for about three years, right? And so he is prepping them now, helping them to understand what life is going to look like uh, being his disciple, following him, once he's no longer physically present with them. So we're going to see those continued instructions today. This is also the seventh and final I am statement in the Gospel of John. We've seen him uh, reference himself as the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And now we see him calling himself this true vine. The illustration is meant to show us that we will bear fruit if we're truly saved right, that we're going to see this. We don't, we don't become saved by bearing fruit. It's an indicator that we have life flowing through us, that if we are producing spiritual fruit, lasting spiritual fruit that's done for the glory of God, it's an indicator that we have spiritual life, that we are tapped into the true vine, right? So we bear fruit if we are a true Christian. And if we are not bearing fruit, it's most likely an indicator that we are not part of the true vine. We see four different characters that are mentioned in this analogy. Uh, Jesus gives us an indication of who is representing what when it comes to this discussion. So the true vine is Jesus. The vine dresser is God the Father. Those branches that are alive, that are producing fruit, we're going to understand those to be true disciples. And then these dead branches that have to be cut off because they're not producing fruit, that are gathered and, and thrown into a pile and burned, these are false disciples. Um, and we'll see what that means uh, here shortly as well. But with Jesus calling himself the true vine, there's an implication there that there's either other vines or false vines that he's clarifying himself about, that, that he's the true vine, not a false vine or, or not an alternate vine. And so if you look in scripture, you'll see uh, references to two other characters that kind of play this vine role. In Isaiah chapter 5, Israel is pictured as uh, God's vine, but Israel is pictured as an insufficient vine in that Israel was called to produce justice and righteousness to those around them, right? They They were always supposed to be a nation that was a light pointing others to Yahweh, they weren't, supposed to iso- they weren't supposed to isolate themselves, nor were they supposed to reject those around them. They were to be this light that, that was a, a vessel, um, a, a beacon of justice and righteousness. And yet what we find is that they're the opposite of that. They're, they're oppressive. Um, they're unrighteous, right? They're, they're, they're going after false gods and, and getting into uh, all that comes with that, right? So they are an insufficient vine. And, and it talks about that in Isaiah chapter 5 that They are producing grapes, they are producing fruit, but they're inedible. Um, And so with Jesus coming on the scene here, calling himself this true vine, really what he's communicating is that he is the true path to God, not Israel. Remember, Israel's kind of confused some things and believes that it's through the law that you come to God, right? That, that That you can get saved by becoming basically Jewish and following all these rules and regulations. And, and Jesus has come on the scene and, and denounced all that, which is why there's such hostility towards him. We want to kill him because you're, you're tearing our system down, right? So he says, I'm the true vine. I'm really the way, the source to, to spiritual life, not following the ways of Israel. They're an insufficient vine. They produce inedible grapes. In Revelation chapter 14, a chapter that we looked at uh, in our study in Revelation, we find that the world is also pictured, but as a false vine. So over in Revelation chapter 14, Jesus coming to reap a harvest. It says in verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on that cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head, 
and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who, was, who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth, threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. In context, we talked about this being answered prayers, the martyrs crying out to God for justice. And, and this is him showing up and, and reaping the earth of its, of its false grapes as well. It's, it's bad fruit and, and judging it and it leading to this wine press, um, this wrath deserving grape. So Jesus is the true vine. He's where we find our true life, not through Israel and not through this world. All right, I told you earlier that... Um, I felt, important, I felt it important for us to talk more about what this passage means before we really get into application. Normally, the way my sermon notes are going to flow is I'm going to give you each point that's kind of application-driven. But in this passage, as I was reading through it, I felt like there's so many things that are assumed, and so I wanted to approach it more uh, from, from a questioning-type standpoint, helping us to see what some of these things mean. Otherwise, we kind of blow through this real quick. We assume that maybe we know what some of these things mean, and we might miss the point that Jesus is making. So I'm going to give you three questions this morning that we want to try to answer. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What type of fruit should we produce? And how do I know if I am abiding in Christ? And so you've already had some time to discuss these in your discussion groups. We're hopefully going to provide uh, some final clarity for you on those three questions, because those three questions are so important in this passage, um, because we're being called to abide in Christ, so we certainly need to know what that means. We're being called to produce fruit as a result of abiding in Christ, so we certainly need to know what type of fruit it is that we're to be producing. And then there's this, this division that we see in this passage, where some people who don't produce fruit are viewed as unsaved and worthy of judgment, and then others who are producing fruit that should have an expectation of producing more fruit and, and, and being obedient to certain commands. And so I think we need to know, are we abiding in Christ or not? How do we know which group we fit into? Okay, so we're going to try to tackle all three of those questions this morning. In the midst of that, I'm going to give you um, some truths that stand out that are very clear um, from this passage. Okay, so let's go with number one. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ. Rob from Snowbird and I were driving home last night from hunting and um, kind of talking through this passage a little bit with him um, and telling him, he'd asked me what I was preaching on today, and so I was walking through it with him. And I just kind of asked him, I said, how would you explain to somebody off the cuff what it means to abide in Christ? What does that mean to you? And so, um, you know, he, he immediately went to the analogy that's, that's referenced here, this idea of uh, being tied into Christ and, and drawing our life from Christ, that ultimately the decision makings that we have, the emotions that we experience and feel, um, everything about our life is, is coming from Christ and what we know about him from his word. And so we were kind of talking about this, and so I tried to, to put down on paper maybe a description that captures what I think it means to abide in Christ and what Jesus is describing here. <clears throat> it means we are united to him in such a way that all of our life is now drawn from following him through his word and living out obedience to him by the ways we interact with others in this world. We're united to him in such a way that all of our life is now drawn from following him through his word and living out obedience to him by the ways we interact with others in this world. I think you see elements of what I just said there in this passage. There's this, this aspect of us being united to him. One commentator kind of described it as, uh, it's as though the Holy Spirit functions like sap from a tree, and the Holy Spirit is flowing through us and giving us the life to produce the fruit that's talked about in this passage. That, that we're tied in, and, and you've seen maybe a tree before or a bush before that has 
a branch on it that, that, that's no longer alive. It's dead, right? It's not, producing, it's not producing leaves. It's not producing fruit. It needs to be cut off. It needs to be removed. It's not alive, right? The rest of the tree might be, but this piece is not, and it needs to be removed. When we talk about abiding in Christ, we're talking about being united to him in such a way that all of our life is now drawn from following him, right? That's the picture that we see in, in this gospel of John, these disciples who are abandoning their previous life to now follow the shepherd, right? Whether we're going through the valley of the shadow of death or whether we're sitting down in green pastures, I'm all in and following you wherever we have to go, right? All my life is drawn from following him through his word, right? I buy into the fact that his word is good, his rules are right, his, his design for my life is best. And I live out what I know about him through his word in obedience and it looks, it looks or fleshes it out in such a way that it changes the way that I interact with others in this world, changes the way that I interact with others and the world, okay? So abiding in Christ means that, that we are now tapped into a new life source, right? Like we don't, we don't find our purpose and our meaning in our jobs. We don't find purpose, meaning, and love in our relationships with human beings. All that's now found in Christ right? Our peace and our comfort and hope is not found in our bank account, right? It's not found in our job security. It's found in Christ. Our joy, our happiness is not found in our circumstances. Abiding in Christ allows us to be joyful no matter what circumstances we're going through. Paul says, I've learned the secret to be content. I can have plenty and I can have very little. I'm always content because I'm trusting in the sovereignty of Christ, Right? So we're united to him in such a way that all of our life is now drawn from following him through his word, living out obedience to him by the ways we interact with others in this world. Jesus talks a lot about the ways that we love others. We lay down our life for others if necessary. Second thing to maybe help us clarify what it means to abide in Christ. Things that are mentioned here in this passage, we joyfully feast on his word. Right? Jesus talks about his words abiding in us. Right? So it's not just that we abide in him, he abides in us. And how does he do that? Through his word, it says. We joyfully feast on his word. We respond in obedience and prayer. So there's this aspect where God talks to us. How, he, how does he do that? Through his word. We talk back to God through prayer. Right? So there's this, this, there's this relationship that's happening. He's talking to us through his word. We're talking back through prayer. And we're seeing our prayers answered if we're a true piece of the vine. Right, that, that when we pray, he hears us. So we feast on his word. We respond in obedience and prayer. We look to serve and gather with others who are like-minded in these pursuits. If we want to be faithful to abide in Christ, it means that we're gonna have to spend time in God's word. We're gonna have to spend time in it in such a way that we want to obey it. We're gonna have to pray for guidance when we don't know how to or we don't have the desire to because we're still a work in progress. We're going to have to look for ways to serve others, to show love to them. And because all of that is so hard, we're going to want to gather with others who are like-minded in these pursuits to help us. These are all things that, that allow us to abide in Christ. We're going to draw our life from Christ if we are spending time in his word, if we're obeying it, if we're praying to him, if we're looking to serve others, and if we're gathering with others who can help us in these pursuits right, can help encourage us, disciple us, hold us accountable to these things. That's what it means to abide in Christ, is to find our life completely sourced in him, and it fleshes itself out in these ways. Number two, what type of fruit should we produce? There's a lot of discussion in this passage about producing fruit and bearing more fruit and bearing even more fruit than that and I think it's important that we spend some time thinking about what type of fruit are we discussing here. I think maybe the first thing that would come to our mind would be fruit that leads to personal character change. We find this in Galatians chapter 5. This is probably something that came up in each of your discussion groups this morning, um, the, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, right? And those fruits of the Spirit are contrasted with fruits of the flesh. So you can say, there's, there's dual aspects going on there where there are things that should not be true about us anymore and things that should be becoming true of us as we come to Christ and as we are now filled with the Holy Spirit running through us, right? So there's, there's this personal character change that's meant to take place in us, 
uh, as we're being transformed into the image of, of Christ. Um, so there's fruit that should be, be shown in the ways that we're changing personally in our character. Number two, fruit that rejoices and praises God while serving others. This is certainly a, a change in perspective when one is able to praise God and give to others. In uh, Hebrews chapter 13, we'll start in verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Remember, these are individuals who, believers who recognize that there's more to life in this world. There's, there's one that's coming and we live for that world. And so it's in the midst of that perspective, verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And then right on the heels of that, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Right? What we see in this passage is that one who is bearing fruit as a believer is one who is acknowledging God, praising him, worshiping him, and doing so by doing good to others and sharing what one has. Right? We've talked just in the last few weeks about um, our, our budget for next year, and we've tried to alleviate any burdens or concerns on your part that we need your money. Right? God doesn't need your money. We don't need your money here. But we do desire you to give for your own sanctification, right? Not so that bills can be paid or, 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 or any other needs can be met specifically, right? We want you to give because it's you working out your salvation. It's you letting go of the things of this world and being willing to share with others. It allows us to, to take our money and, and share it with others who have bigger needs than we can meet individually, right? So let me encourage you just as a little commercial break right here. I mean, don't lose sight of the fact that we're getting close to the end of this year, right? So it's probably worth looking back upon your bank account and saying, okay, what did I commit to give this year? And have I, have I honored that? Or, or did I get stingy at some point in the year and hang on to it? Again, we don't need your money, right? We've already, we've already done everything that we're doing this year, right? We've already paid the bills for the Christmas party. There's, there's nothing left that needs to be paid, the only thing that's left is for you to look into your heart and say, have I let go of the things of this world like I said I was going to this year, right? And, and, and to, to model that, I went through meticulously because I don't keep, uh, I write so few checks, I don't keep up with it like I should, right? So I meticulously went back January to December just to make sure that I, that I, that I wrote the check that I was supposed to write. And I sent it to our finance lady and I said, hey, I want you to double check my numbers and make sure that, I'm, that I've done what I committed to do this year. And she sent one back and she said, I don't have this one. And I was like, well, I do. Like, I gave that in July, right? She's like, no, according to the accounting team, somebody else gave that money or somebody else gave money that week and it's not yours. And so I was like, well, what in the world? But I wasn't content to not give if I still had money that I needed to give based on the commitment that I made, right? So I, I kept digging and I kept thinking and there's no way for me to look at the check image. I can't see what I wrote it to and um, was just really intentionally thinking through it. And then I remembered th- that money was used for this thing and it was just the exact same amount, right? And so I was like, oh, so there it is. So I wrote a check this morning to, to, to catch up on my giving commitment, right? Not because this church needs, needs that money, right? But it's because I wanna be faithful to make sure that, that, I'm, that I'm letting go of the things of this world as the Holy Spirit is prompting me to, right? We've got opportunities for our members to commit to give for next month or next year too. And that deadline is coming up, right? We want, you to, we want you to commit to give. Again, not because we need your money, but because you need to give it so that you can grow in your faith. So you can grow in your faith, all right? It's, it's part of the fruit that we can produce. Praising God with our lips and turning around and showing service with our hands and giving to those who are in need. Fruit that rejoices and praises God while serving others. And then number three, fruit that produces words that feeds others. It's a cool picture in Proverbs chapter 10. We'll start in verse 20, actually. Really, there's just a lot here in Proverbs 10 that's pretty cool about your mouth and your tongue and what you do with it. Verse 20 says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is of little worth. But verse 21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. 
That's a cool image there that, that our lips, the words that we use, right, the things that we say, the things that we say to coworkers, things that we say to our spouse, the things that we say to our kids, the things that we say about our boss to other people. And those are supposed to feed people, right? Supposed to, supposed to encourage or nourish. So think about this aspect of fruit, right? That, that aspect of feeding, right? We're supposed to produce fruit with our lips that feeds somebody's soul, that, that, that refreshes them, that encourages them, that gives them maybe proper perspective when perspective has been lost, right? We're supposed to have that type of fruit from our lips, the type of fruit that feeds somebody else. And we all have plenty of opportunities where we could do that. Those are three things that I wrote down <clears throat> as I was thinking through the type of fruit that I see in Scripture that, that we are called to produce. This personal character change, this rejoicing and praising of God while we serve others, and then also this, this type of uh, fruit from our words that feeds others. All right, now let's look at 15, John chapter 15. Let's look at 10 truths that I want to hit you with really quick as we walk through this passage. Truths from John chapter 15. So we've answered the question, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What type of fruit should we produce? Hopefully now that'll help us understand better what's being described here. All right, let's go with truth number one. If you are not producing spiritual fruit, you are most likely not in Christ. If there's no fruit, there means there's no connection with Jesus. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It says the branch in verse 4 cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So Jesus is essentially saying, if you are in him, you will bear fruit. Now, he makes this, this statement, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You could potentially try to manipulate this and think, oh man, if I stop bearing fruit, I'm going to lose my salvation and be pulled out and cast out because you skip down to verse six and it talks about um, those who do not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. This is simply another way of Jesus talking about um, those, those wheat and tares that we see, right? That he is saying, hey, Judas was here all along. He looked very much like a disciple. He looked very much like he was in me, but he is not a fruit-producing uh, branch, right? He's, he's with us, but he's not really in us, right? Like he's not really, he's not really a part of us. And, and Jesus talks about the fact that the enemy comes in and sows seeds. He sows these, these weeds or these tares that, that will grow in church, that will, that will look very much like a Christian at times, maybe sometimes even hard to, to distinguish between for us. But they will show themselves to be true or false disciples by the fruit that they produce. And if they aren't producing fruit, they were never, they were never part of being in Christ. If you're not producing spiritual fruit, you are most likely not in Christ. I say most likely because there may be brief seasons in your life where, where you feel fruitless, right? And so I don't want anybody to, to overly panic here. But what is most true about a believer is one who is producing fruit in his life. And Jesus says, if you're not, you're not in me. Um, and you're going to be taken and you're going to be removed. Number two, if you are in Christ, you are producing fruit and will most likely be pruned in order to produce more. He says in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus affirms there, if you're in me and I in you, fruit will be produced. But he says in verse two, the person who produces fruit Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit, right? We're probably familiar with that pruning process and, and in the cutting away of the branches, it, it allows for more fruit to be produced. And oftentimes that's what we see if our trials and difficulties are not specifically discipline related, where God's having to intervene because of disobedience, Right? A situation like, like a Job who, who is honoring God and yet finds himself going through storms in life. 
right? It's in the midst of those difficulties. It's in the midst of the shadow of death where, where that pruning process takes place, allowing us to come out on the other side capable and equipped to produce more fruit. And that pruning process is difficult, right? If the, if the vine could speak, it would cry out and say, quit cutting there, right? Like that hurts. But fast forward and you would, you would have the vine also speaking back to you, the branches speaking back to you and saying, now that I can look back, I can see the, the purpose in that. Right, we, are, we are now producing more than we ever have before. So the encouragement to us here is that if we're producing fruit, we're in Christ. The, the admonition here is to be prepared for pruning processes at times too. Um, but there's going to be times where maybe something is taken away from you that's very precious to you, but needs to be taken away to make room for more fruit. Right? The pruning process is difficult. We need to be prepared for it. God will do whatever necessary to make room for greater fruit in our life. Number three, we do not produce fruit to be saved. Instead, our fruit proves us to be saved, right? Don't get caught up in in the, the distinguishing remarks here about believers and unbelievers and think in some way that your salvation will be measured based on how much fruit you produce. Jesus makes this comment in verse three. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Right? There's this admittance by Jesus here. We've already dismissed Judas. Just like I told Peter that he was clean and didn't need a full bath, right? He's telling his disciples here, you guys are already clean. Right? Like, like you're not in jeopardy of not being saved. Fast forward down to um, verse 15 and 16. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It's the same word there about our, our fruit abiding. That's what we're told to do in Christ. Well, that word can also be translated remain. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, you guys are already clean. And before you've even gone to produce fruit, I'm just letting you know, it's not really up to you and your choice. I've already chosen you for this. Just like what Ephesians 2 talks about, right? That we were saved for good works, that it's the purpose in our salvation. So Jesus is saying, look, you guys are gonna produce fruit and I've already ordained that it's going to be lasting fruit, right? It's going to be eternally purposed fruit that's gonna come from you. So it's an encouragement to us as believers, especially those of us that are maybe, uh, insecure or, or lack the assurance that, that we are capable of having the Holy Spirit live through us and us doing meaningful things for his kingdom, Jesus is saying, look, you abide in me, I abide in you, you are going to produce fruit. And your salvation is not contingent on it. It just simply shows you to be saved, right? Your salvation is not hanging in the balance as to whether you produce fruit or not. What he's saying is if you produce fruit, you've always, you've always been in me, right? Like it's true that you are a believer. We don't produce fruit to be saved. Instead, our fruit proves that we are saved. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We're saved to produce that fruit. Number four, we cannot produce lasting, eternally valuable fruit in our own strength. Instead, our fruit comes from abiding in Christ. We can't produce lasting, eternally valuable fruit in our own strength. Instead, our fruit comes from abiding in Christ. So he tells us in verse 2, every branch that doesn't bear fruit is going to be removed. Um, Verse 3, you're already clean, so you don't have to worry about your salvation being based on your ability to produce fruit. But number 4, if you abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so he is telling us that we will not be fruitful if we are not abiding in him. This is where it's important for us to know what it means to abide in Christ. So let's remove the abide in Christ and put in there what we kind of used as the definition. We are not going to produce fruit. We're not going to produce fruit if we are, un- or we are not united in him in such a way where we're letting our life flow from his word. If we're not trying to live out obedience to him in the ways that we interact with others in this world, if we're not feasting on his word, responding in obedience and prayer, looking to serve others, if we're not faithfully gathering with others, we're not going to produce fruit, right? We're going we're to be trying to function detached from Christ and try to be productive without him. 
And he says, that's just not possible. It won't be lasting. It won't, it won't, uh, it won't endure. Instead, you have to be tied into me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Number five, abiding in Christ involves us drawing life from his word. We use that in our definition earlier. It involves us responding in loving obedience. Sorry, it involves us drawing life from his word. So, so we go to his word, not to check off a list that I've had my devotions today, but we go to his word for life. You have the words of life. Remember, Peter said that, right? Jesus had some tough teachings, and he says, you guys going to leave too with those other false disciples, those other dead branches? Am I going to have to cut you guys off too? Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Like we're, we're hanging on every word that you say. We want it to drive everything that we do moving forward. Abiding in Christ involves us drawing life from his word. It means if the word says it, we do it without questioning it. Without questioning it. Right? AJ and I had an exchange this morning where uh, he wasn't abiding in my word. And I finally just had to look at him and said, you're not going to question me and you're not going to argue with me. You're just going to do it. You're just going to do it. Right? And we've got, to have, we've got to have that perspective with God. Like, I have to have that perspective as AJ's dad to my heavenly father. I have to submit to him so that I can lead AJ well, so that I can lead my family well. I have to come to God's word and say, whatever it says, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, and we're not going to argue with it. We're not going to try to explain it away. We're not going to try to simplify it or, or change it or alter it to fit the things that we want to do. If it says we're going to do it, then we're going to do it. We draw life from his word. Number six, abiding in Christ involves us responding in loving obedience to his word. He says in verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He talks about this piece of how do we abide in him? How does he abide in us? It's through his word and it's through us being obedient to those commands. In verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? Abiding in Christ is necessarily tied to responding to his word, but doing so in loving obedience. Not a, a sense of drudgery, not out of a sense of duty, but because you're fully convinced that he does have the words of life. Number seven. If we are truly abiding in Christ, we will see prayers answered. If we are truly abiding in Christ, we will see prayers answered. He tells us this in verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now what's the, the precursor to this? Well, the precursor is that our prayers have to be aligned first with his word, Right, So we pray, request, and ask, and expect based on our will, our desires, therefore our prayers kind of flowing from his word. Right, But this other piece is that the motivation behind what it is we're praying for is for God's glory. We see that back in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, where he also talked about ask and you'll receive, Right, that it's for the glory of God that those prayers are answered. So it, it quantifies how we, how we pray and what we pray for, that it has to be shaped by the word, has to be shaped by God's desires, and then he will respond and answer. Now, I gave you an example of this um, a week ago or so, where I told you, man, I, my, my heart was starting to be troubled right after preaching on it. Right? My heart was troubled, and I didn't know how to handle certain conversations that needed to be handled. Right? And, I, and I immediately began to pray and claim that promise from James that if we lack wisdom, we can pray for it and we can expect it. And it was given. Right? It was given in an abundant way to where I was able to navigate those conversations. Right? So we can pray confidently knowing that our prayers will be answered if we're letting our prayers be shaped by God's word. If we're truly abiding in Christ, we'll see prayers answered. Number eight. 
if we are truly abiding in Christ, we will experience unwavering joy. He says in verse 11, these things that I've spoken to you, this whole analogy that I'm trying to help you grasp this vine and branches and fruit, those that aren't producing are not disciples, those that are, are. He said, I'm saying all these things to you, that the joy that I have will be in you and that your joy will be full. Man, there's this expectation that we should have that if, if we are going to God's word and we are submitting to it and saying, I want to pattern my life after the things that I read and hear from this book. And we do them, right? And we do them through the power of the Holy Spirit and we pray when we need that guidance and that direction when we don't know exactly how to do it or when we're lacking the desire to do it. We pray and ask and we pray confidently because I don't think anybody can pray for sanctification to occur and it not be an answered prayer. It just doesn't happen. It's, it's in line with God's will, right? And so we pray confidently. We pray knowing that he'll answer. We pray knowing that he will answer. And, and, and there's joy that comes from all of this. Joy that comes from knowing that by following his word, we, we are receiving answers to prayer that are completely in line with his will for us. And we're drawing this new life from Christ that supersedes anything that we could get from the world. If we're truly abiding in Christ, we will experience unwavering joy. Number nine, if we are truly abiding in Christ, we will see increasing and lasting fruit. We'll see increasing and lasting fruit. In verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He says, I've appointed you to go. I've appointed you to bear fruit and your fruit's going to abide or it's going to remain. We see this desire from God to prune so that more fruit can be produced. We can bear much more fruit. So there's this, this expectation that we should have that we are going to keep producing more fruit as we stay tied into Christ, as we abide in him, more fruit is going to come. All right, number 10, the last thing here, the command we are to obey and the fruit we are to produce from this passage is sacrificial love for each other. So he says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you're my friends. And so we're about to see him lay down his life for his friends, right? But he says the commandment that he's giving to them is that they too would love one another as they have seen love demonstrated by Jesus. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. The fruit that he's ultimately wanting to produce here is that sacrificial love towards each other. He wants to see us living out that new interaction with others around us we talked about. That if we're united in such a way that our life is now drawn from following him through his word, if we're living out obedience to him by the ways we interact with others in this world, we are abiding in him. All right, so let's look at that third and last question. How do I know if I'm abiding in Christ? How do I know which part of the branch I'm, I'm, I'm on? Right? Um, you know, because you might be sitting here wondering if these definitive statements that if you abide in Christ, this happens, this happens, this happens. Are those things true about me or not? And so let's kind of flip it around and ask ourselves some questions as we look into our own life. How do we know if I'm abiding in Christ? Number one, do I see fruit in my life? Do I see fruit in my life? And sometimes you, you need to ask somebody with a different perspective, somebody not you, right? Because sometimes we can be hard on ourselves in such a way that we might miss some of the things that God's doing in our life. So um, this, is, this is a conversation that could be had with those that you're closest to within the church even, um, do I see fruit in my life? Do I see change in who I am and how I interact with the world around me? Has there been growth in my life, in, in my character? Am I, am I different today than I was when I first came to this church? When I first came to Christ, is there, is there noticeable differences in you? Some of you, I could immediately start listing off, listing off noticeable differences that I've seen in you. Fruit that, that is being uh, produced in your life because you're tied into Christ. Do you see fruit in your life? Is there a change in who you are, that Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit? Is your character changing? And is your interaction with others in this world changing as well? Number two, do I encounter pruning? 
Are there things that you could look back on, trials, challenges, difficulties, and be able to testify that because of those things, it's led to you producing greater fruit in your life? You can look back and see a purpose. You can see a fruitful purpose in your life. It's, it's enabled you to do this, or it's changed you in this way, or it's enabled you to be this. Do I encounter pruning? Is, is God looking at me and saying, hey, there's fruit there. Let's go to work so we can make more of it. Do I encounter pruning? Number three, do I witness answered prayers? Do I witness answered prayers? Do you pray and, and, and have God answer? Now, again, these requests have to be in alliance with his will. But newsflash, there's also this truth that we have to be praying to see answered prayers too. Right? So not only do we have to have prayers that are shaped by the word, we actually also have to be praying to see answered prayers. Right? And that's probably an area that all of us struggle in. Do we, do we pray sufficiently enough to even see prayers being answered? We're promised that they will be, especially exactly when they are in line with his will, right? Do I witness answered prayers? Number four, do I desire to serve others? Do I have this growing love for my local body of believers here? Do I desire to serve others? And then lastly, number five, do I experience joy? Do I have a sense of peace and hope despite my circumstances? Or am I one that my joy is a constant roller coaster? That my joy is determined by whether things are as I desire them to be or not in my life? Or are you moving in the direction where when things aren't working out the way that you want them, there's still this, this anchored joy that says God's in control God may be pruning me here. God may be setting me up for something greater than I can even imagine. He may be taking this from me because he's about to give me something far greater that's not even on the horizon yet. Do I have that type of joy that is entrusting my life as a branch to the vine, trust the life coming from the vine, right? I'm trusting that shepherd to take me the best route to the, to the, the green pastures. So do I see fruit in my life? Do I encounter pruning? Do I witness answered prayers? Do I desire to serve others? Do I experience joy? All right, two points of application that I want to leave you with today. One's to be done this week. One is to be done over the next two weeks. Number one, I want us to pray specific prayers this week, and I want us to take note of specific answers to celebrate next week. So part of us coming together, coming together next week uh, as part of our prayer time is going to be what are some prayers that we've prayed this week or maybe just recently if we need to fall back on, on some previous weeks. Um, what are some prayers that we prayed this week that we saw answers to, right? Things that you specifically prayed and said, said God, will you do this? And, and you prayed it knowing that it was in alignment with his will based on what you see in his word. You know that you were praying it out of motivation for his glory, and you can see the fruit of the answered prayer. Let's celebrate those together next week. Specific prayers that we pray this week that we can say God answered this. Um, it's evidence that we're abiding in him, right? Number two, plan to show specific love to someone over the next two weeks from our church in obedience to this command to love others. Right? We're called to do this. We're called to love each other. And sometimes we can get so wrapped up in, in our calendar and our agenda that, that church is Sunday most of the time. But outside of that, I've got all this other stuff going on, right? And, and, and sometimes we're so disconnected from everybody else that, that we're, not, we're not taking advantage of opportunities to love on each other and serve each other and to, to use our lips to feed others, right? There's people in our church that need lips to feed upon, which sounds weird. Um, people in our church need your encouraging words. We'll say it that way, right? <laughs> Just making sure everybody's listening right here for the application, all right? right? People need you to speak truth to them, to, to encourage them, to lift them up. They need that type of service. They need that type of love, right? So, so try to identify somebody. Um, this week may be crazy with Christmas stuff. Next week, um, maybe even a little bit crazier with New Year's Eve stuff. But um, 
Try to find some time this week to love on somebody, serve somebody. It doesn't have to even be in person, right? It can be, it can be a text message. It can be a realm message. It can be an email. It can be a phone call. It can be meeting up and, and having a, a connecting point where you say, hey, let's go grab coffee and just hang out for a little bit, right? Find somebody to love on this week or next week, all right? I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, Tyson will come and close us out in song. God, we thank you for this passage um, and just the reminders that are contained for us here. We thank you that um, as believers, we really can abide in you, um, that we do that by feasting upon your word, trying to live out in obedience to you what we see there, that you empower us with the Holy Spirit to do it, that we can gather with others when we don't fully know how to. We can pray to you when we're struggling to. God, help us to see that that there's a role that we play in this part, that you abide in us, but we're also called to make steps to abide in you. So God, help us to be faithful to do that. Help us to be faithful to step back and say, am I, am I spending time in the word like I need to? Am I praying like I need to um, so that I can maintain that relationship with you? Um, am I gathering with others faithfully? Am I seeking to serve others faithfully? Um, God, help us to to do a good self-inventory to see if part of the reason maybe we don't look as much like we're abiding in you is because maybe we're not taking the steps to do so. And help us to see that that's going to necessarily translate into the type of fruit or even the amount of fruit that we're producing as well. Um, Father, if there's anybody in our in our midst that it's one of those branches that's just dead and is not producing fruit at all. It's not because they've lost their salvation. It's because they've never been saved. I pray that you would make that uh, crystal clear as well. Um, God, that they would see that prayers aren't being answered and, and fruit's not being produced and um, there's not a desire to be obedient and there's not a desire to serve and um, those things aren't true about them. God, I pray that you'd make that clear as well, um, that you'd bring branches that are on the verge of being broken off and, and discarded, that you would, you would bring them to life and that, that that Holy Spirit sap would run through them and ignite them and produce fruit in them as well. Um, and we ask, that, we ask that confidently because we know that's part of your will to, to bring people to you. And so, God, I pray that, that you would do that, um, that you would bring uh, any in our midst that, that aren't saved, that you would, you would bring them to salvation. And uh, as we leave today, God, pray that we would uh, be mindful of things that are coming this week, that there may be pruning opportunities. Um, there may be opportunities to, to produce fruit, though, as well. And so, God, I pray that um, we take advantage of whatever circumstances come our way, that we would find great joy in the midst of them. We would keep trust in you. Um, we thank you that you're a, you're a, you're a good vine and that um, as this living organism, we're, we're submitted to a good vine dresser. Who, who's doing everything necessary to, to produce maximum fruit in us. So we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.